Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. Hello there, Cradio World, and welcome to another exciting episode of Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. By your side, you have Jeremy Ambrose. Hello, everyone. And me, the inquisitive Javina Graham. And today, we've got Bishop Julian Porteous again in the hot seat. He, never, he always comes back, even though we ask him tough questions. Today, I do have a very interesting one for you, Bishop Julian. Now, there are some who would say that the role of women in the church is not what it should be, and that women are denied participation in the church. It's not something I feel, but what do you say to people who do complain that this is a problem? Certainly at the present moment, Javina, this is an issue that comes up constantly. Um, we find that, um, <clears throat> I find as a bishop, it's one of those frequently asked questions that, that come my way, um, that um, particularly, I have to say, particularly from women, and, and I understand they've got a, every right to, to explore this question because... They look around at the world around them and they see women in all sorts of roles. We, we currently have a, a governor-general mm -hmm. who's a woman, a prime minister in Australia currently who is a woman, our governor in the state of New South Wales is uh, currently is a woman. And uh, we, we see women exercising all sorts of roles um, in, in business, increasingly in business. Um, we, we see... Um, Women are becoming a lot more involved in, in at all levels of, uh, of of society, in all, in all professions. We even see them now. I notice working on in uh, road gangs, uh, along mm. with the men digging holes, yeah. <laughs> digging holes in the street. Although most of them carry the stop signs, I notice they're not digging the holes; they're carrying the stop signs. But however, they're, they're, it seems that every area of society has now been opened to, to women. And so people very rightly say, well, what about the church? Is, is, is the church doesn't seem to be doing this. So the church um, seems to be out of touch with society, out, not moving with the times, not recognising that this is really what should be happening. So you can understand why people look upon the church and see that the church somehow is being um, dragging its heels very much on this one and, and not not responding and people feel often the church just should get with it and get with the times and and um, bring women into all levels and all aspects of the life of the church. I certainly understand it. I certainly understand why the question has been asked and, um, and it is a question the church does need to listen to and respond to. However, if I may just continue on in one particular line, it's often thought that the church has um, has always been male a male centered organization. Now, I think that is quite untrue. And even if we go right back to the very beginnings of the church, and if I could say inspired by the example of, of the Lord Himself, we see that from the in the early church, women played roles that were greater roles than were accorded to them in the society in which they lived. If we just take the example of the Lord himself, I mean, his approach to women was more free than probably a lot of the, the social norms of his day would allow for. Remember when he was 
talking to the woman by the well, that the disciples were really shocked. And uh, we also know that uh, there are a number of women who were accompanying him on his, on his journey. Um, he clearly treated women with a great deal of respect. And, uh, and that carried through in the early church. So the early church um, didn't have a, a closed mentality towards women. <clears throat> it's very interesting when you do read the New Testament writings, the number of times women are mentioned. Um, certainly the apostles were the dominant presence in the church and, and they were raised up by the Lord to be the, the, the leaders of the church. We, we see greetings by, by St Paul, for instance, to, to women in various places and, uh, and they talk about the fact that the church meets in the house of a woman. These were probably wealthy widows who had larger houses and therefore they, the community was able to meet there. We, we hear of uh, women evangelists working in the church. So clearly from the very beginning, women were respected and seen as contributing to the life of the church. They weren't ignored their, their rights. And I think the church was ahead of the society in a lot of these ways. As you move into the, the church, one of the things that uh, has been a very strong uh, dimension to the history of the church has been the emergence of religious orders of women um, and at times these became um, very powerful uh, presences in the, the church um, and, and so you have um, abbesses of, um, of, of large monasteries for instance being uh, women of considerable influence and, and power and prestige um, I think it's very interesting for instance and the, and the custom still continues to today that certain abbesses um, had a um, a bishop's or had a mitre uh, had a, had a crozier I should say the uh, bishop's um, yeah. crozier um, and they were considered to obviously exercise a pastoral role over the the, the sisters and governance of their particular abbeys and, and sometimes the convents had uh, hundreds of women in them. One of the other things that happened, of course, was that um, these monastic communities not only provided women with a, a, a life uh, they could live, uh, pursuing their religious life in a very particular and, and dedicated way, but it also opened them to, to education and formation. And uh, uh, women had the opportunity of, of education uh, through monastic life that women in general society didn't have. And ultimately, it would be religious orders of women who would be at the forefront of the promotion of education of normal women in the society. So St. Angela Marici, who founded the Ursulines, for instance, was one example. Her order was dedicated to the education of, of women in the society. So the church was really at the forefront of offering opportunities for women and particularly providing education for women. And certainly when you look at the, the, uh, the church uh, today, there are so many great institutions in the church that have been the work of women. And you think of the great hospitals. It's Vincent's Hospital here in Sydney. And these were amazing achievements of women who were dedicated to, to the Lord in, in religious life, who set out to carry out a charitable work and in time develop extraordinary and, and complex organisations over which they exercise governance and, and leadership. 
So we see that these institutions have raised up at times quite extraordinary women. So I think it's, um, it's not fair to say that the church has not recognised and encouraged the contribution of women to, to its life. That's a good, a good point you've made, Bishop Julian, about the church's historical record. However, what about, I mean, I guess leadership at the top? What would you say about that? You know, I mean, in terms of, well, it seems like obviously, you know, talking about the hierarchy, that women are in that hierarchy. Mm. So would you like to say something about that? Yes, that's, that's often the sticking point, isn't it? Even if people would concede that the church has, uh, has exercised a role in the past of, um, of encouraging women and giving women freedom to, to, um, to develop their gifts and to, give, uh, to receive formation, education, to carry out significant works. At the same time, we say, but, ah, but, but they're not able to be priests, they're not able to be bishops and not able to be a pope. And as Pope John Paul, in addressing this issue a number of years back, spoke definitively on it to say that in terms of the, the priesthood itself, that this is not a human or an ecclesiastical position. This is of divine law because the Lord himself, when he chose his disciples and chose the apostles, uh, he chose men. And we believe we can't change that. Uh, I, always, I always argue that among his disciples were uh, many, many women, and there were some outstanding women, no doubt, some very outstanding women uh, that the Lord recognised and deeply respected. But when it came to the choosing of those who would exercise the, 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 um, the leadership, the apostolic role in the church, it was, he just chose, um, just chose men. However, I, I think one of the problems today is that everybody tends to only think of authority particularly they understand it as the exercise of power from one perspective alone, and that is in terms of the hierarchical leadership of the church, so, so the, the, the Pope and the bishops and the priests in particular. However, the church has always seen that there are two avenues of leadership in a church. One is hierarchical, established by the Lord. The second is charismatic, Leadership, what we call charismatic leadership, which, if you like, is a fruit of the Spirit, a result of the work of the Spirit in the lives of individuals. And so, as I was saying before, the history of the church is full of women who, who have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, charismatic leaders, if you like, who have done extraordinary things and made enormous contributions to the church and to society. Their leadership has been, if you like, charismatic, and they've often taken on roles functional roles of leadership, but the source of their leadership has been the charismatic, if you like, the, the charisms, the gifts, the action of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and often this charismatic dimension has actually enabled the expression of the feminine genius that, that Pope John Paul used to speak about, that women have a contribution to make which is distinctly their own, and they can bring something to the church out of their femininity which is really uh, something that enriches the church because it's feminine. And I, I think we need to understand that these two dimensions of authority, of leadership, are the way the church understands leadership. And for women, 
uh, it's it's often the case that that we see extraordinary women raised up in the, within the church who have made great contributions and exercised influence and, and leadership. I think one of my favourites in this is St. Catherine of Siena, mm. just the most extraordinary woman who made an enormous contribution to church. Um, she was a charismatic individual. And so I think when we look at this, I think we need to um, not just restrict our understanding of leadership only to the hierarchical dimension of leadership, but also see it finds expression at the, as charismatic leadership as well. Excellent. Well, in a short amount of time, Bishop, you've, you've managed to dissect this issue somewhat, and I'm sure we could talk much more about it, but thank you for um, a very honest um, look at what leadership is and what the role of women in the church. Jeremy, it's my turn to just pose a, a, a little uh, question or a little point of interest uh, to you. And just recently, we've been talking in Q&A about incense and, um, and the fact that incense is, is quite integral to, um, to Catholic liturgy and we're, we're quite used to it. Uh, and of course, the way that um, the incense is actually used in the liturgy is, is by having uh, what we call a censer, uh, normally made of metal, which we call a thurible. I think you may have... Have you heard of the word thurible? I have, only very recently, Bishop, so it's, it's good that you're explaining it. Yes, it, it, the thurible, it's not only, again, it's not only restricted to, to Catholic circles. It's used more broadly in, in many, um, many different churches and, and in other religions as well. Basically, it's, it's uh, I suppose, this practical way in which incense can be burnt and moved around. There are two ways you can burn incense. One is to have uh, a censer or a place where a bowl, perhaps, where you put the coals in and then you light the coals. For instance, when, when we consecrate an altar, we place a bowl uh, and then we light the incense in the bowl and so it stays in one place. But generally speaking, in the liturgy, we want uh, incense to be able to be moved around. And so we have uh, basically a bowl, which has um, a number of metal chains, and it has a lid that's able to be lifted up, and then we place the incense in the, the bowl. It, it's relatively simple. Norm normally in the liturgy, you might notice that um, there is somebody who accompanies what we call the thurifer, is that person who uses the incense, um, and that is, he's often called the, the boat bearer. It's just an interesting <laughs> name. He's, uh, we, we see that the, um, the incense is kept and we just call the boat. Mm. Uh, it often is a little bit of a boat-shaped container which has a spoon in it so that you can get the incense out and put it in the, uh, in the thurible. Um, and, and it really is just a means by which the uh, incense can be used. Generally speaking, there are... Um, the practice in the Catholic Church is when the thurible is used that uh, we use the number three. Everything is done in groups of three. So we just, just don't just move the, the incense or thurible once, but we do it three times because it reflects the Trinity. Uh, and normally the number of threes that we, we use is connected with the person or the, the thing that we are actually incensing. So three threes would be three sets of three would be used 
to incense uh, the Blessed Sacrament. Um, I, I don't know the strict rules about this, but I think and there were two sets of threes, maybe for the priest, and then one set of three just for... Uh, often when people are incensed, it's just one. Mm -hmm. So so we have just the custom of... of the, but the number three is always wow. used by the thurifer, and, and then with three sets of three, two sets of three, one set of three. So that's uh, just a little origin uh, of the of the use of the thurible. Well, that's great to know. I'll be sure to be counting those sets of three next time I see the thurible in action. Thank you, Bishop Julian. And that brings us at this session of Q&A with Bishop Julian to a conclusion. See you next time. You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes, visit radio.org.au.